please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the reading of the word. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Matt. So, uh, because of Matt and Savannah and Charlie, I got to sit through two commencement services. They didn't plan it that way. Uh, but you'd be amazed at how tired you get sitting through two commencement services. It's unbelievable to hear. I think I heard every senior's name at you and I read yesterday, which is always, always great. Um, I, uh, as a general orientation in my life, I would not be described as a crafty person, right? Uh, but my wife is. And so uh, I wish that I knew how to do crafts. And though I will never plan a men's craft night. Yeah. Uh, I do wish I knew how to do them. I don't care to make whatever you guys are making, but things that are crafty would be fun for me. Anyways. All right. I don't know why that, that was an excursus. I don't even know why we went there. Anyways. Welcome to Grace Community Church. It's good to see everyone this morning. It feels like the first official week of summer, doesn't it? Uh, the w windows are open. It even got so hot yesterday that I thought about turning on the air, but then I thought, that costs money, and I didn't do it. <laughs> Anyways, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series that we're calling CORE, and this is not a sermon series, a six-week sermon series about how to get rock-hard abs. If you, uh, surprisingly enough, that's not what it is. If you feel the need to do uh, any crunches today during this message, I ask that you go out in the lobby, <laughs> all right? Uh, that, no, this uh, sermon series is all about what we believe, what we believe as a church, as a church family, as a church community, as a body. And when I was prayerfully considering what to preach uh, over this first part of the summer, I was kind of struck by a wonderful idea. And that idea is that... Uh, I, I just came to this realization that many of us, the vast majority of us who are in this room right now, just a year ago, weren't here, right? We weren't actually here. And, and I, I realized that we just kind of have this diversity of people at our church. Some of you are very familiar with church. Some of you are a little less familiar with church. But no matter what, we're, we, we have a pretty broad spectrum of people. And it turns out that it is very important to know what you believe about God and faith, because those things have a way of influencing our lives, actually. What you believe about God turns out to be very influential in who you are and what you do and what your life looks like. And so, I decided that, uh, that it, was, it was high time that we start communicating a little bit more clearly, maybe, about what we think, about what the church as an institution thinks about certain things. And so, uh, it's very, very important that we define what we believe, what we believe, uh, not to be heavy-handed, but, but for our own hearts, that we can, uh, we can follow in this direction. Uh, Derek Relander, a pastor and writer, says it this way, to be a living, walking, feeling, loving, thinking person implies the presence of a certain set of deep-rooted core beliefs. 
These beliefs define who we are. They give us a sense of identity. Our beliefs order our values by establishing priorities in our lives. Our beliefs shape our worldview. That is how we view life, God, relationships, and reality. They guide our reasoning and ability to think, influence our decision-making, and dictate how we treat other people. This is why I tremble at the thought of belief. Beliefs turn out to be important, don't they? And they feed into to our identity, actually. We begin to identify who we are, in a sense, by what we believe. This is what humans do. And they determine what type of people we will become in the future because they determine our identity, in a sense. Uh, it, if you have this kind of deep-seated belief, it forms you as a person. This is why the theologian John Stott says that good conduct, good conduct, <laughs> good conduct, DeWitt, I don't know, uh, good conduct flows out of good doctrine. Good conduct flows out of good doctrine. Because you see, if you have, just as an example, if you just have this um, through-going belief that God is a judge, and that he's kind of sitting in a, in a heavenly courtroom with a gavel waiting to, uh, waiting to pass judgment on you, that will determine some things about the way you live your life in the world, won't it? But if, in the converse, you think that God looks like Jesus, right? This will change the way you go about your life. You will, you will inevitably have some different assumptions, some different thoughts about your life and how you should live it. What we believe matters. It matters. And if what we believe as individuals matters, if it matters for our lives, then it stands to reason that the core, that the core beliefs that a, a community has, that a church has, are important as well. Uh, it, the, the, the beliefs that a community has that we, that we hold in, in common will inevitably shape this church. It will inevitably shape this church. And so, this, in this series, uh, we're, going to, we're going to go all the way through the end of July, uh, and we're going to be examining a number of different beliefs, or what in Christian vernacular are often called doctrines, doctrines. Uh, that I believe have the potential to shape our future as a community. Now, I believe, quite str I believe quite strongly that God is up to something unique in and around Grace Community. Uh, but in order to form a kind of coherent identity and culture, we must be aware of what we actually believe. We have to be cognizant of those things. Now, as we set off on this journey together of looking at the Scriptures, of looking closely at the Scriptures and determining, and determining where we fall on certain topics, I want to be clear about a couple of things before we get started this morning. And that is that I am aware that many of us are at different places in this, in this church, right? Some of us are new to the whole Christianity thing. Uh, some of us have been followers of Jesus for a while. You may be here this morning and you're still just kind of checking the whole Jesus thing out. And so I just want to be up front and say that when I say we believe, I'm not saying that by virtue of being within earshot of me, you qualify, right? Uh, in truth, you don't have to believe anything. We're just happy you're here, to be honest. But when I say we, I'm talking openly about the leadership of our church, about, uh, of our church specifically, and about the network of churches that we have banded together with based on a shared set of beliefs that distinguish us from other churches, so, if you're here and you actually don't know what type of church this is, which is possible, right? Uh, uh, I hope that this series uh, brings some clarity to you on that front. And I hope that if you're with us, uh, if you're with us during this series, 
uh, that we're, and you're exploring Christianity, which is great. If you're exploring Christianity and you're with us during this series, it's my hope that you come away from this series saying, now that's the type of faith that I can live. That's the type of faith that I can live. So, uh, I want us all together, me included, to kind of be captured afresh and anew by the beauty and the significance and the wonder to echo our last series of the Christian faith. In short, I pray that we all get really fired up about theology and doctrine. Is that just me? I think maybe that might just be me. Uh, it sounds like a parte, doesn't it? to get fired up about theology and doctrine. But I think it can happen, actually. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about this, this very idea. He says, For my own part, I tend to find the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. I rather suspect that the, that the same experience may await others. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find that the heart sings unbidden, while they are working through their way through a tough book of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. That's a very uh, 19th century British man way of saying it. Uh, if that is not a faith you can get behind, I don't know what is. And this may be a pencil-heavy series. I just want to tell you that. It might be a little pencil-heavy. And if you're the pipe type of person, you're going to have to take that up with the Iowa State Legislature because they passed laws about this, you know, that type of thing. So uh, they're in at Applebee's and all the places. You just can't smoke your pipe anymore, okay? Uh, uh, but let's be open to the possibility, right? Let's be open to the possibility that delving into some of these, some of the nooks and crannies and corners of what we believe might actually uh, strengthen us. It might actually enliven our hearts, and it might actually call us uh, into something that we didn't realize it would call us into. Can we agree on that? Okay, good. I like, I, like, I like this stuff, and I think you will too. I really do. So, introduction over about the series. So, uh, this morning, if you have a Bible and you want to open it, you can open it to Romans 10, 9 through 13, and if you don't, it'll be on the screen, all right? And I'm just going to reread what Matt read for us real quick. Uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10, uh, 9 through 13, excuse me, reads, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess your faith and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes uh, in his heart uh, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this morning, I just want to talk through kind of three ideas about belief in general. We're not going to dive into uh, any one particular doctrine or belief this morning, but I just want to talk about belief because I think it's something that in American culture, we need to identify a little bit more closely. And so uh, the first thing I want to talk about this morning is that we believe with our hearts. We believe with our hearts. Now, in order to really understand this word belief that we read in this passage here, you have to understand the, what the world of the Bible and the ways in which the biblical world or the biblical context that lies behind this word belief, uh, how they understood it. In this Romans 10 passage, this is a very famous passage. I was made to memorize this and a number of other passages out of Romans in college. 
uh, to memorize something called the Romans Road. But this passage is very popular. And in this uh, passage, there's kind of a wonderful encouragement to us about, as followers of Jesus, as how we actually go about doing that, about what it, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is one who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believes that reality, not in their head, notice, but in their heart. Now, for all you biology students in the room, I want to ask, how do you believe in your heart? Because in our context, where do, you, where does the, where, where do we believe at? Our brain, right? We believe, in, we, we believe in our minds. Now, this is interesting because in the world of the first century, they didn't really have um, a thorough understanding of what the brain actually did, right? They knew it was important, but they didn't know that that, they didn't have any conception that that was where all the thoughts were stored, right? And so they, they merged the idea of belief with the idea of the heart. The word in Greek is cardia. And the cardia was kind of the center, the center of the person, which makes sense. If, if, you had, if you look at a human being, the heart is central, right? It's in the middle. It seems to be the place that's of vital importance. And so uh, the ancient people, ancient people believed that the heart was this, this vital center of both, uh, of both feeling and emotion, but also of thoughts, right? They didn't have this kind of bifurcation or this separation between feelings and thoughts like we do in our culture. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't actually believe that you could, you could actually believe something and then not feel that thing. The heart was the center of the will. It was the, it was the place from which everything happens. Jesus says, the wealth, Jesus says in the Gospels that the heart is the wellspring of life, right? And out of it, everything flows. Because ancient people believed that the heart, the cardia, was the, was the center of the person. It was the animating force of the human life. And it was the center of feelings and emotions and will. And it was also the place where we had or stored our beliefs. It was this incredibly important and vital thing. Yet in our culture, the heart is not that, is it? The heart is just this place where we have feelings, right? So we have feelings in our heart. Now we know that this is, doesn't actually, it all resides in our brain. We know this now. But uh, when we speak metaphorically, that we have feelings in our heart and we have thoughts in our brain. And we've separated these two ideas. But in the ancient world, these two ideas were fused together. Knowing or understanding or, or believing something was, was thought to be an experiential thing. If you read the beginning of the book of Genesis, and when it says Adam and Eve knew one another, it meant, and there are no children in here, it meant that they had sex, right? This is what it meant. Because uh, knowing intellectually and experiencing were similar ideas. And so when you read in the Bible, believe or know or understand, you have to understand that that's just not an intellectualization. That is something deep. That is something more significant than that. And so when we talk about belief in the biblical sense in, in this series, what we're talking about is a belief that goes beyond the place of just basic uh, intellectual belief or head knowledge or mental assent. We're talking about something that's far more significant than that, something that's far more meaningful than that. Now, the reality is that in our culture, because of the separation that we have put between the heart and the mind, we believe that you can believe something and then not actually follow through on that belief right? You might, we, you could believe, you could say that you believe that stealing is wrong, but then go steal, right? You could say that you love your wife, but then you could go cheat on her, right? The, see, in the ancient world, these two ideas would have been so closely fused together that you can't actually, you couldn't actually have torn them apart. 
You couldn't have, you couldn't have uh, broken apart belief and action in the way that we do in our context. And so, when, uh, when the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 says, if you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart, he's saying that if you've experienced the reality, if you, if you believe it to such an extent that it affects and changes you, that it, that it, has, uh, it takes up resonance with you, that it, it, it has control over your affections, over what, the, uh, well, over what Augustine, uh, St. Augustine called your loves or your affections, that it has control over that part of your being. It's so much deeper than belief, right? It's so much deeper than just kind of checking on a box and saying, I believe X. This is the place that beliefs hold in the life of a person. Now, the question is, how do we get to that place? How do we actually get to the place of believing if, that, if that's the place that, the, that that needs to take, if belief needs to take residence in us in a deeper way, in our volition or in our will than just in our mind, how do I get to that place? Because I can believe things volitionally for a little while and then not actually believe them after a period of time, right? Who's ever had a belief that uh, they had and then lost at some point in their lives? Maybe you believe the earth was flat. I don't know. Well, something. Kyrie Irving still thinks that. Uh, MBA joke. Anyways, uh, uh, but uh, maybe you had a belief, and then as, you, as you've grown older, you, that belief has changed. The reality is that you experienced something, right, that transformed your belief, right? That's probably what happened. You experienced something, and it transformed your belief, or you learned something new, right? You had some bit of sense data that changed what you thought. And in the same way, belief in uh, Jesus, or belief in any truth about the Christian faith, is something that must be experienced. If it, if it's, if it has to be supported by evidence, but it also has to be experienced. It can't be separated out. It can't just be something I believe and that I write on a piece of paper and I keep on a wall somewhere, right? You, you know, I think one of the, a popular thing in interior decorating now are those kind of uh, wood bricks that have little sayings on them, Right? My best life now, and you put it in your bathroom? I don't know. What's another one? I don't know. I don't have any in the top of my head. But there's all kinds of one, right? Uh, there's all kinds of them. We went to, once again, we went to graduation, and everybody had things written on their mortar boards. That was just like inspirational saying after inspirational saying after then one kid who was just mad about how much he paid for school. Uh, <laughs> just over and over and over. Uh, and the, the reality is, is that those beliefs, if they're just outside of us, right, if they're just on the wall of our minds, they don't actually take up residence in our hearts. They don't actually change and transform us. And what we're going for, what we're driving at, and what the Christian faith always wants is for the beliefs that we're talking about to take up residence within us and to transform us. This is what beliefs can and should do. This is how the Bible talks about belief. All right? All right, so that's one. Number two... The second idea I want to talk about this morning is just that different doctrine does not mean division. Now, do we have that big slide? You can throw the, the, the circle thing up if you'd like. So, what we have here is a little diagram, because I love diagrams. If we, and if we look at this diagram and we think about it in terms of belief, in terms of the things we think, or in terms of Christian thought... What we see is that at the center of what Christians believe is Jesus, always only Jesus. Jesus is the center of Christian belief, right? And then out around Jesus comes all kinds of thoughts and ideas, right? And so, the, uh, so we have at the center of Christian belief, we have the cross, we have Jesus. And then that, that, 
next circle there with the really funny word on it is dogma. Who's familiar with that term, dogma? It's, it's about dogs. You didn't, you didn't know this? The Christian faith is about dogs. No. Uh, dogma is a churchy word to talk about the, the central beliefs of the Christian faith. So, uh, the, and these are summed up, if you're interested, in the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. And both of those creeds we have on our website, so you want to go and look at those. Uh, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creeds are the two historic creeds of the church, and these are what all Christians hold in common, right? This is about Jesus' divinity, his virgin birth, that God created the heavens and the earth, about the Trinity, uh, about the church. The, the central doctrines, the sec- central beliefs about the church are called dogma. And now these, uh, now dogma are the things that all Christians agree on. So if you're Catholic or you're Lutheran or you're Orthodox or you're Baptist uh, or you're Pentecostal, uh, you believe on church dogma. You, you agree, you, everybody agrees on those, okay? And then uh, if you're outside the realm of dogma, uh, we, you can't technically be called a Christian, all right? Because you're outside the historic creeds. You're, you're outside the, the kind of guardrails of what Christians have historically said, this is what we are and this is what we believe, okay? So uh, we are not going to be talking about dogma in this series. We are going to be talking about the next rung, which is doctrine. Now, doctrine are, are the beliefs that uh, Christians, have, Christians have, brothers and sisters in Christ have, that differ from one another. This is why we have denominations because of doctrines, because some Christians think other, different things than other Christians, right? You, if you come into this place and you're like, why are you not Lutheran? Well, it's because we have some different doctrines that determine our life and our practice. And so what we're going to be talking about in this series is doctrine. And then the third circle is opinion. Now, opinions are opinions, right? Opinions are very often beliefs about doctrine or the way that doctrine works itself out in our lives. And so an example of an opinion, uh, an example of a dogma or a doctrine is that God was the creator, right? We have in the, in the, in the creeds, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? It's, it's a central doctrine. But opinions about that doctrine might be how he went about doing that. Does that make sense? So uh, you might say that God, you may believe that God created the world in seven literal days, or you might believe that he did it over a period of time, or he did it through some natural causes, right? There's all kinds of opinions that we can have about how exactly that works, but the, the central doctrine or dogma is that, uh, is that God created the heavens of the earth, the heavens and the earth. And so we can have different opinions, right, as Christians. We can differ on opinions as long as the core stays solid. But what we're, what we'll, once again, what we'll be talking about in this series is that second rung, doctrine, the things that make our expression of faith or our community of faith distinct from other communities. And so over the next week, we're going to be talking about uh, women in ministry on Mother's Day. I thought that would be fun. Why we believe that women should be fully included in the church. Uh, and then we'll be talking about all kinds of other things like the Holy Spirit and his role in the church. And we'll be talking about uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, which sounds like a hoot, doesn't it? Bring your bring your big gulps, people. And then, uh, <laughs> has anybody ever done that? And then we'll, uh, we'll talk about some other stuff as well. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. But the point of this is, the point of this is that we can differ on doctrine and opinions, right? We can differ on these things and still not be divided, and still not be divided. And I think a problem that we often have in the Christian world is that there's division over doctrine. There's division over doctrine. 
Now, we separate churches, and I, I don't necessarily think that one church shouldn't have its own unique expression, and I, th I think that's healthy. So, Catholics should have their own expression of faith, and Lutherans should have their expression of faith, and Orthodox people should have their expression of faith, and Presbyterian I could name them all, guys. Uh, Presbyterians should have their expression of faith. That's all fine and good. Uh, we don't have any problem with them. But the problem is that when we start to divide to the extent of saying that those people uh, are outside of it, right? This is a disagreement on doctrine, and we can have this disagreement, and we, there are times to say, okay, you do your thing, and I'm going to do my thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean division. Does this make sense? Is, this, is everybody jiving with it? Okay, good. So that's number two. That's number two. And the third thing, I, uh, the third, just the third thing I want to talk about today is this idea that Christian belief always exalts Jesus. Jesus, as you saw on that uh, little diagram is the center of our belief. Jesus is the center of our belief. All Christians, all Christian belief is centered around and exalts the person of Jesus as the ultimate source of our faith and our hope. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus. If you hold beliefs that don't line up with the teaching and character of the person of Jesus, those beliefs must be jettisoned. All right? This is the truth. And if you hold a belief that causes you to treat people in ways that Jesus did not treat people, then that is an improper belief. That is an improper belief. Even if that belief is, on the face of it, correct, right? And Christians do this a lot, right? Very often around kind of moral standards or ideas. We allow a belief, we allow a belief about a moral standard to kind of get inside of us and sour our souls so that we can treat people in ways that Jesus would have never treated people. Yet the belief on the, in the external sense is correct, right? We do this all of the time. But what we've actually done is we've, we've uh, co-opted a belief and we've made it in our own image and, and we've actually not believed it rightly because all belief in the Christian faith centers around and looks like Jesus. It has to always come back to Jesus. We hold, uh, but belief that is, that is exalting to Jesus, the belief that exalts Jesus, uh, that is in our hearts, will inevitably lead us somewhere good, won't it? If we have belief, we hold belief, and it, it's, it's Jesus-exalting belief, then it's ultimately going to lead us somewhere good. In Philippians 4, verse 7, this is what uh, Paul says to the Philippian church. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Belief in Jesus leads us to a peace that, that transcends our understanding, yet guards and strengthens our hearts and minds in ways that are almost imperceptible to us. This is what solid belief does. This is, what, this is what good doctrine does, in a sense. And it is this type of belief that I think we're going for in this series. Belief that exalts Christ in our lives and moves us to pursue His way. Belief that, like I said earlier, uh, takes up residence at the core of our being and transforms our actions, right? That calls something significant out of us and makes us look like Jesus. And that, in short, fills us with love, that fills us with love. Belief that it exalts Christ and moves our lives in positive directions. And at, and at Grace, at this church, we are unapologetically a Jesus church. We want to see all of our belief and all of our action revolve around the person of Jesus. 
We actually have this on our website if you're interested. Here's what it says for those of you who don't check our website every week like I do. Uh, this is what we say. We are and will continue to be a Jesus church, finding our life, health, vision, and strength in the person of Jesus Christ. We will keep Jesus at the center of our faith and life together. We will keep Jesus at the center of our faith and life together. And ultimately, that's what this series is endeavoring to do, just to keep Jesus at the center of our faith and of our life, to, to find our resonance and our hope and our power and our strength and our sufficiency in the person of Jesus, to keep him at the center of everything we do and are, to be unapologetic Jesus people. And by unapologetic, what I don't mean is a jerk, <laughs> just for the record. Because if you're, if you're unapologetically a Jesus person and you're a jerk, you turn out not to actually be a Jesus person, <laughs> right? It's kind of funny, isn't it? It's kind of funny how that works. Um, but, but we are unapologetically people who carry uh, the life and love of Jesus everywhere we go. That's what we want. That's what we desire. That's what we desire. And in order to keep Jesus at the center of our life, in order to have him be the center of our belief, we actually have to go about uh, reasoning or thinking about what those beliefs actually are, of processing those things in a constructive way, and coming to some understandings about what Jesus actually has for us. This is what we're called to do. And you know, the Christian faith is interesting, because one of the things that the Christian faith does, and the bank can come up if they're ready, one of, the, one of the things that the Christian faith does is that it doesn't just tell us, oh, believe these things, like in a, in a mental way. You have to believe these things, and then you get entrance into whatever, right, into the club. This is not how it works. In the Christian faith, we, we're taught that there are actually practices that we can do that help us kind of lean into our faith in a way, that help, that help us actually believe well. And one of those practices is communion. It's the table, right? Communion is this kind of bodily action. It's this action that we actually take on that, that helps us to remind ourselves again and again that we believe in Jesus and that we proclaim his death and resurrection. This is what communion is. And if you're in this place and you believe in Jesus and you've committed your life to him, but you, you've struggled with belief at times, right? You've struggled with this belief. You have doubts, and that's normal and human, right? What I'm not arguing for is that uh, we have belief that is uh, free of doubt, right? That's not normal or human. That's not actually even good. Maybe, you, maybe you're in this place in you today and you struggle to see uh, the belief that you claim take up residence in the deep core of your being, right? This is a common problem. At the center of who you are, in your heart, right? The communion table is a beautiful place this morning to come and reaffirm that belief afresh and anew, to invite Jesus into the core of your being again so that you can find the, your vitality and the center of your life in him. This is, what, this is why we were given the communion table. And we pray that as you receive the bread and take the cup uh, with us today, that you will feel and know his presence and that that belief will kind of sink down from your head into your heart. That's what we're hoping and praying for. And I, and I just want to say this morning that we practice an open communion which means that you don't have to be a member of our church in order to receive communion. All we ask is that you endeavor to follow Jesus with your life. 
And as, as Ashley said, after communion, uh, we'll be receiving our compassion offering. So there will be uh, two people at the back uh, to receive an offering. If you have a couple dollars or not, you can, uh, you, and we'll put that slide up uh, after communion's over, but um, you can text compassion to that number and that'll put you through and you can uh, give a few dollars digitally as well. Uh, but, but today, just for these last few moments, and we have a little time this morning, my hope is that uh, we can come to the table and we can experience the person of Jesus, and that experience will drive belief. That experience will drive belief. Because ultimately, the Christian faith is an existential one. It's a faith that claims that God actually meets us in the person of Jesus, that God actually comes to us in the person of Jesus and meets us where we're at, no matter what we've done, or no matter how guilty we feel, or no matter how good or bad we think we are. God in the person of Jesus comes and meets with us, that he sits down to table with us and he gets to know us as a friend. And so this morning as we receive communion, Jesus wants to do that with you. He just wants to sit down with you. He just wants to meet you. And so in just a few moments we'll receive and the band will play and you can either take the elements back to your table or uh, your table, uh, your chair. You can either take the elements back to your chair or uh, you can just receive right at the table. where uh, you stand. But either way, I I really believe this morning that God wants to meet with you. So I'll just ask you to clear out some mental space in your mind and open yourself to the possibility that Jesus is here with us today and that he wants to meet with us. All right? All right. So Paul says to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, The the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we come to the table this morning knowing uh, that so often we say we give lip service to what we believe, but we don't allow that belief to to transform our lives. And so this morning, God, we ask that you would would help us uh, to have those uh, mental beliefs, those beliefs that we have in our minds kind of sink down into our hearts. May we experience you this morning at the table, at your table that you've invited us to. And would we meet you in that place? And would you you show us uh, who you are as we center our lives around the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Amen and amen. So the table is open.